Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hi, I'm Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. I'm very excited to say that joining us in the room is Josh Graff, a UK, no, the UK, the UK Country Manager and VP of EMEA at LinkedIn. How are you doing, Josh? Thank you for having me. You're also a Scrabble fanatic and Scooby enthusiast. <laughs> I am indeed. <laughs> Uh, so what does a UK country manager and VP of EMEA LinkedIn actually do? What did, what did you do last week, for example? Sure. So it's two jobs. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, I lead the advertising business, what we refer to as our marketing solutions business across Europe, the Middle East and Africa. And then secondly, I'm the UK country manager, so oversee uh, member acquisition, member engagement, the monetization across our various business lines, our team and talent in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. And in terms of last week, uh, really varied and that's one of the reasons I love the job so last week I would have met with a couple of clients uh, say the global CMO of a commercial real estate company the CMO of a technology company to the CHRO of an insurance organization at the same time last week I went to see a minister to talk about the skills gap and how LinkedIn could potentially help in that respect and a senior civil servant to understand how LinkedIn could help drive foreign direct investment into the UK so a pretty wonderful variety that comes with the role how interesting tell me about university you left I did I did Uh, December the 16th about two (laughs) o'clock in the afternoon in my second year Uh, so I left very specific I I remember where where, where, where were you so I was in my so I was at Leeds doing French and Italian and I remember very clearly being in my house in the second year and a friend walking in and saying you should go I was like, what do you mean you should go? She's like, it's, it's about time you should, you should go home. And we'd had discussions about it over several months, but this was really the straw that broke the camel's back. And so I bought a ticket and got on the train back to London and never returned. And there were a series of reasons why. Firstly, I was doing about six or seven hours a week on the course, and I wasn't brilliant with a lot of spare time on my hands. Uh, secondly, I learned that hiding a personal secret so I hadn't come out at that stage but it was building up inside me and something I'd been hiding for about 20-21 years uh, is not particularly healthy for one's mental state and so that accelerated my departure yeah I think I needed to be home for that it still actually took me quite a while to come out to my family and my friends once I'd returned home but I did learn from it that I had very accommodating and compassionate parents, which I sort of knew in advance, but it reinforced that when I arrived on their front doorstep saying, I've just dropped out of university. Oh, interesting. I I was reading a lot of interviews with you in preparation for this, and actually your your public profile management is very good. It's one of the best (laughs) I've had to research. It was very easy to write these questions. But in in an interview you said, I came out to my parents at 22, but like 62% of Generation Y grads. Very specific. I walked into work and jumped firmly back into the closet. So how has coming back then out changed your work and home life? Because that's really interesting. You've got the before and after. So it, it changed my home life overnight. I'll give you more context as to why. And it certainly changed my business life. I would say in many respects, coming out helped accelerate my career trajectory and was and continues to be good for business. And the reasons for that are... One, I became far more productive. So there's a load of stats that show that you spend about 20 to 30% of your energy covering who you are. So it increased my productivity. It 
deepened my relationships with my colleagues and with customers. It, uh, some would argue, maybe they would argue against this, but I think it heightened my emotional intelligence and therefore enabled me to become a more compassionate leader to my team and those in the broader organization. And how, how could I ask how? Yeah, I think just going through that experience of realizing who you are, who is your authentic self, the experience of coming out to people and thinking in advance what people's reactions may be and then sort of seeing people's reactions in reality gives you a heightened sense of EQ. Well, I used the word home earlier and the thing is is that home is where you're accepted, right? So so home literally isn't necessarily even where you live when you're growing up. It's, it's where you're accepted for who you are and work should feel like that too. Absolutely, it, it should. Otherwise, what are, you're wasting your time there, I think. And so many people spend so much time not feeling accepted for who they are. Yeah, I think it's a real challenge at work. I think with, uh, finally, first of all, it may work far more fun than it yeah. had been yeah. prior to that. But there's a, you know, obviously a broad discussion around diversity and inclusion in the workplace today. And at LinkedIn, we obviously think about diversity and inclusion uh, a lot of the time, but we often invest a lot of time thinking about this idea of belonging yeah. and exactly that's the word yeah creating an environment yeah. where people truly feel that they belong and there's a load of neuroscience attached to this that shows that a sense of belonging is a even more powerful motivator than money and yeah. that it's the same neural networks that look after your primary needs such as food and water as your social needs and ensuring that people feel like they belong within the work environment is critically important to drive productivity. Mm. There was a, there's a, it's actually an academic survey which my cousin, who is an academic, drew my attention to, and it, it, it chimed with me because it's, it's called the glass slipper. Yeah. Um, do, you know, do you know this? I don't, so, I, I, so, I know so your the book. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's in my book, The Glass Wall, but yeah. this is the glass uh, slipper syndrome, which is the, the idea that, in order to wedge your foot into the glass slipper if you don't happen to be a beautiful petite little princess you know in the original um story they actually hacked their toes off and 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 hacked bits of their foot off in order to get there i know it's really but the 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 theory is is that that's what loads of people do um and and it affects all sorts of people who don't fit the obvious mold you know including you know all all of the all all of the minorities and indeed the majority that is is Mm. is women often um, and that that takes so much effort, as you say. And, and if you imagine it as something where you're walking around with your foot bleeding yeah. every day in very a very uncomfortable glass slipper, you can see why if mm. you take that off and you put on a pair of sneakers, she said, taking the analogy too far, <laughs> yeah. um, you can you've got more resource to be yourself. You've got more resource to be a leader. Absolutely. Um, and the fact that people are running cultures where they don't have that inclusiveness is such a shame. I, I think that's where you and I have kind of gelled in terms yeah. of, you know, beliefs about leadership because over and above anything else, it's got to be we're including everybody that 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 has talent and works hard and wants to be here, whoever they are. Exactly. And I think that to me this is a bit like climate change now like the evidence is indisputable yeah it's and we've been talking about it being important for many years and we've shown the evidence for many years and now it's what are the concrete actions that people can take within their organizations to drive this environment of inclusivity and belonging but also recognizing that from a leadership perspective at least in my view one of the 
most important characteristics is the ability to demonstrate vulnerability. And if you can demonstrate vulnerability and if you can talk about all the anxieties that come with entering the workforce, leading a team, yeah. you know, imposter syndrome, whatever else it may be, you suddenly awaken a load of people in your team who may feel this but have been anxious yeah. or yeah. perhaps resistant to share it in the public domain yeah. and when they see others do it they suddenly it frees them up again in order to help them be more productive and successful. Um, so you've also described yourself as naturally introverted as, as am I. Um, you don't come across as an introvert so Face what is it, it well. what, what yes, that's what that's me too and quite often as uh, Andrew knows it runs out after I've after I've been faking it for, for an hour or so yeah. then I'm going to go and sit quietly what does it mean to you how do you what how do you think about it um, LinkedIn in a way is the brand is almost the opposite of introversion isn't it uh, yeah I guess it's about Connection. showing off your it's connectivity yeah. it's about showing off your professional identity F for me being an introvert means that the way that I recharge my batteries is to spend time either alone or with a very small group of close family or close friends. Yeah. And on the flip side, my most uncomfortable moments are, as I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, walking into a large room with a group of people that you've never met, yeah. knowing you have to go and introduce yourself and make small talk with people. Yeah. That is deeply uncomfortable that's, that's for me. So hard. Yeah. And to your point about faking it, that's, I think in most jobs and especially in leadership roles where you're doing press or you're meeting new customers regularly and you're spending time in the public domain, y you learn to adjust mm. and maybe a little sadistically I uh, challenge myself in all of these environments like micro challenges so I'll walk into a large room of customers who I may not have met before and rather than beeline for the one person that I do know because that's my safe space I challenge myself to go and introduce myself to two or three people that I've never met before mm. and however uncomfortable that is perhaps the flip side of that is in the back of my head I feel like I've just overcome an anxiety that I had five mm. minutes prior mm. and you fake it you continue faking it and after a couple of hours you go back you go to your quiet rest. zone I think the other upside of it is that you end up with a network that's a lot wider than it would be if you were just talking to the people that you already know mm. as well absolutely so it's uh it's professionally kind of useful do you think because it's it's traits that I recognise massively, right? Do you think that it's, it's, if you had the same room, the same amount of people, but they were, one were colleagues who you sort of knew of, but weren't close to, or completely new people, which one do you think would be more exhausting? Oh, for me, new people is definitely more oh, really? exhausting, uh, because it's the uncertainty of what the response is going to be, and the anxiety of how people may perceive yeah. you, and vice versa. Uh, in general, though, large groups of people is not my no, comfort no. zone. No. Yeah. Um, I, I love spending time with small groups of people. And I, as I mentioned before, I get energized by either spending time by myself or with small groups of people where you can have a very sort of deep, meaningful conversation. And yeah. that's my preference versus a large group where you have to make polite small talk, you're which I find a little challenging. Friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, 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 you, we are your people. Are you the same? You'd rather be with people you, 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 you sort of knew? Um, I, I know what you're saying. There's something quite hard about large groups, even if you know them really well, of naturally extroverted people, because they will be kind of 
indulging is that the wrong word they will be they, they'll, they'll yeah. have their own routines and rituals yeah. that that are, can yeah. be quite hard to go along with so so you know my it will it will everybody would know this about me but drinking games is not my thing right yeah. i just don't get me the too. drinking game thing no, no. <laughs> so if i'm somewhere where even if it's people that i really love but they're like massively into a drinking game i'll walk i'll look yeah. at, uh, would i rather go and talk to five strangers i don't know Probably. Yeah. Is that awful to say that? No, no, no. That's but bad. I think you know, just yeah. Because I, I'm massively the same with you. Like, I think weddings are my least favourite occasions because <laughs> because at weddings least at industry yeah. events, you might they it might be useful to have those a relationships. Professional connection. As weddings, you'll never see these people again. You're forced relationships, forced temporary relationships. There's a great. Have you seen Table Number Nine? No. Oh, oh. I think it's Table Number. I'm you. I'm, I'm going to send right, you a link right to that. it. It's it's a very funny. Um, it's about the table at the back at a wedding and who's on it Lovely. and how they interact yeah. with each other so i will i will i'll check the i'll check the name but i'll send so you a link to funny. that it's actually a friend of my two-year wedding i've known my husband for 10 years but it was our two-year wedding anniversary today congratulations, oh, congratulations. Thanks. and i remember being deeply anxious in advance of the wedding i was completely yeah. sort of petrified yeah. there were 80 or 90 people i knew them all incredibly well it so happens it was but actually was a wonderful day um i loved every minute of it and all the anxiety that i thought i was going to have dissipated like within 20 seconds of walking in the room but so yeah even when there are people that i know and there's lots of them and there's lots of them the anxiety yeah. is still there yeah very interesting the the, re uh, the reason i was going to push on it is i find when i know people like if i was in a room of colleagues like you know i, I don't go to christmas parties andrew does not go to the christmas party and i tell him he should go to the christmas party but he uh, won't go he will, will not, not go i hate it because they, you're coming with me this year though aren't you because <laughs> <laughs> people know a little bit about me so they, they there's a sort of minimum standard i have to maintain whereas if i go somewhere where they don't know me i can be who i want to be you yeah know, if i go i went to a wedding once where the two people getting married were did doctors, you not know them either you, you crashed it <laughs> those two i really liked but they i was the plus one and so I could be who I wanted to be so mm. but everyone else there was surgeons so it's not like they, so they were like zero yeah, interest yeah, in advertising yeah, yeah. and so I told them all I was a, a bridge importer like I took bridges from the UK over to Africa because <laughs> because they'll because the bigger the light you know the more they believe it and I could just be that person and leave it it's more interesting than having to be myself in a way you know having said that though I have a crazy degree of admiration for extroverts who can walk into a room we have there's certain folks in our sales team yeah. at work who can walk into yeah. a room they absorb the energy yeah. they will yeah. go and make conversation with everybody they will yeah. come out half an hour later with four best friends that they're going on holiday it's with so next impressive week. isn't it like the, the consummate networkers it's just but it's a skill it's absolutely. literally a skill and i do think if you had to you'd train for that skill Absolutely. just as if you were yeah. you know any profession that you took up if you had to and and it's one of the other things that <clears throat> makes inclusiveness so important and you know the expression that we use here about we want a team to be avengers assemble because you want people that complement you not that that are the same as you Absolutely. Um, and you do not want three um you know incredible hulks in a team you want you know, uh, a little, little bit of Is that the yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but nice try. Um, uh, so keeping that going, then what your co you've already described one, but what's your coping strategies for dealing with what is a very largely extra extroverted industry? But then also, how can bosses of introverted people create a better working environment for them as well? So interestingly, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that it's a very extroverted industry oh, really? because the oh. more I've 
sort of dug into this within a sales organization absolutely there are a large number of extroverts although the more we try and create a diverse team i'm recognizing that there's very different types of personalities and they resonate with clients in a very different way and therefore it's important to attract them into a sales environment within the agency ecosystem within the within the marketer world there's a broad variety of characters so i've the more i've spoken about being an introvert and the more i've had those conversations with my teams and with our customers the more i realize that there's a lot of people who are very similar they may fake it so you may not notice initially but that's that's their natural state in terms of the steps that leaders and managers can take to create an environment which is conducive for introverts there's a couple say one is encourage people to share their opinion ask people to share their opinion but recognize that in large groups there are certain individuals who may not initially feel comfortable doing that so perhaps they're not the first person that you ask when you walk in the room for their opinion but you say to them josh i'm going to come to you in a minute would love to hear your thoughts and then it gives them time to prepare five minutes later you call on them to share it Uh, create spaces in the work environment where people can go and recharge so we're looking at moving offices at the moment and we did a time study on where people were spending time and how they were using our meeting rooms and most of our meeting rooms are 10-15 people plus and what we realized is that a large number of people were going to meeting rooms by themselves or just with two of them and for the people that were going by themselves, it was often to work alone and to recharge. Mm. And so in the new space, we're making sure that we have a, a number of spaces which are smaller where people can go and do that. That's, that's brilliant. There's something hideous about saying open plan is best yeah. for everybody because yeah. it just isn't. At least have some plants that people can Exactly, find. exactly. And then finally, ask people. Ask people how they like to engage. How do you like to receive feedback? To what degree are you comfortable speaking up in meetings? These are often conversations that managers don't have with individuals Mm. on their team, but actually are really important to have at the outset of that relationship so that you understand the interpersonal dynamics and can coach them the most effectively. So those are three of the, I'm sure there's dozens others. If you look at uh, Susan Cain's book, Mm. if you look at the TEDx videos that she's done, Love, love Susan Kane. She, she, she's brilliant. She's the book brilliant. is quiet. Yeah. Quiet, quiet. Yes, yes. absolutely. The power of introverts. And so I'm sure she's got a thousand other recommendations yeah. Yeah. that are far more thoughtful than the ones I just shared, but those are the no, three that really, come to they're mind. They're really good. What's next for you, Josh? That's a good question. Um, so at the moment, I'm very happy where I am. Uh, the journey still has a long way to go. Frankly, I never thought I'd be at LinkedIn seven years later, had you asked me at the time, but I, I love every day. It's changed so much in the last seven years. Enormous. I think we've 12,000 people today. I was employee 800 in Europe. We were 50. We're now 1,500 to 2,000. So mm. it's very different. Obviously, the acquisition by Microsoft mm. as well. There's some stuff that I'm doing outside of work. I'm a trustee for Founders for Schools, which is a brilliant charity that helps prepare students to enter the workforce and so I'm pretty occupied with all of those different roles at the moment and at some point I'll leave LinkedIn you know we've got a lot of data to prove that people leave companies (laughs) uh, pretty frequently but I have no idea what will come next I know that when I think about the type of company I want to go to sort of first and foremost will be the culture and values of the organization and the longer term mission and vision uh, uh, so true yeah uh, it's so so true it says culture is I mean there's this sort of meme that says culture eats strategy for yeah. 
for lunch, breakfast, dinner. It's just so true. I mean, but I always answer, but the strategy is to have a good culture, but culture is first and foremost. And it's what I'd say to anybody starting out into the workforce, actually. You know, I, I, I find, I'm sure you do, that people ask your advice about the sorts of companies they should work for, and they get their heads turned by the names of some very exciting brands. And I always say it's, it's the culture of the company over and above anything else, and then the culture of the team that you're in, even within the company is absolutely and we we did some research on this recently and i think that was 53 percent of people today would discount working for a company if they didn't have clarity and visibility into their culture their values their mission and vision and when i started work 18 odd years ago the idea of culture or values Mm. was just not even in my dna i hadn't even considered it Mm. within a work environment and so Perhaps I've drunk the mm-hmm. drunk the Kool Aid of, of LinkedIn and been bleeding blue for seven years, but it has resonated with me and increasingly has become more important. Well, lovely, uh, Josh. We're asking the questions now, which every guest gets asked. So, what is your favourite lyric? A new question. It is a it's new a regular question. So it's I'm terrible with lyrics because I never remember them. But the two songs that resonate and some of the lyrics of each one was George Michael Freedom for pretty obvious reasons Uh, and the second was Simon and Garfunkel with Homeward Bound the first I love the lyrics of it and it is often I travel frequently for work and I love experiencing new cultures but I also thoroughly enjoy going home and so it's often the tune that I'll listen to as I'm boarding the plane in whichever country I am in how interesting that's lovely um, okay, my favourite question. If you were a genie, um, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you, Josh? So I'd start with cheap chocolate or candy, so okay. uh, Maltesers or Haribo, something like cool. that. Um, secondly, a Scrabble board. Yes. All words with friends, but preferably Scrabble. Uh, third is a um, scuba diving kit. I'm a big fan of scuba diving, and so that would definitely draw me in. Where's your favourite place to scuba dive? My favourite place to scuba dive is probably the Maldives. I was fortunate to go to the Maldives, and it's the best diving wow. I've ever done. Being underwater with 25 sharks circling your Whoa. head <laughs> is pretty, Amazing. pretty fascinating yeah. and be- stunningly beautiful. Um, uh, embarrassing, I'd probably say my phone. Mm. That's allowed. It's a phone, yes, it's a phone, yeah. And the latest Bond film. I'm a Bond fanatic and have been since I was a kid. Excited about the new one? I am, I am. Although I don't know exactly when it's releasing, like 2020, perhaps. Yeah, and they're they're saying, you know, post Me Too, which will be interesting. I read yesterday that there may be a female Bond. There was an article, I don't know if it's the BBC or somewhere else. Well, there's been a female Doctor Who, although the first thing she seems to have done is lost the keys to the TARDIS, I I, I noticed, with, (laughs) with, uh, you know, (laughs) nothing stereotype going on there. Uh, So, your house is in a disaster. All the living things are out, everything alive is safe, but you can dash back in and grab three things. What are they? The first would be photo albums. So you've got printed hard copies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Old family ones or a mixture wedding of old photos. family weddings. A, a combination of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from when I was a kid to date, holidays, everything yeah. else, grandparents. Uh, so photo albums, and I say photo albums. That's perhaps wishful thinking, but some of them are in albums, and the rest are just in large boxes. So yeah, I yeah. Would grab the boxes. <laughs> yeah. uh, secondly, probably my pillow. I'm a big fan of sleep. Okay. I'm a I'm I'm very good at it as well, and so <laughs> I would take the pillow. Yeah. And thirdly, I 
I'm a big fan of Alexander Calder and my husband and I bought a lithograph of Alexander Calder a couple of years ago in San Francisco, which I'm obsessed with. So I probably grab that from the wall before I, I before yeah. I depart. Very good. Um, which book have you given away the most or what is your favourite book if you don't give away books? So I have given away books. So I, I often give away The Alliance by Reid Hoffman. It's about managing talent in the digital age. It is a brilliant read. And it is the analogy they use is similar to sort of the army with the tour of duty, whereby when an individual comes into the organization, you have a very transparent conversation with them about what the objective is for the role that they're just about to take on, roughly what period of time that's going to take. And that gives you the opportunity as you're progressing, A, to track progress, but B, to determine what that person's thinking of doing next and how do you help them transform into their next role. it's very clear then. Absolutely, very clear. And also recognition that it's not just about the value that you as an individual employee bring to the company, but it's also the value that you receive and return from that company in terms of investments and your skills the books that i so like reading the ones that i enjoy the most so as i mentioned i was a bond fanatic um and so on a similar theme of spies there is a series of books by a guy called daniel silver who's written about a mossad spy called gabriel alon and it's a very easy reading but uh, a wonderful read at the same time and at the moment i'm about 100 pages into a little life by Hanya Yanagihara and it is proving to be a it was recommended to me by many many people but it's proving to be a traumatic traumatic book but everybody has said bear with it and it's one of the best books that has they've ever read I think it was nominated for the booker if I'm not mistaken Uh, if you could change the industry right now in one way how would it be what would you do easy diversity I'd level the playing field I'd make sure that everything so it, it, oh, I'd make sure that every company reflected the society in which we live, which is far from reality today. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to give you a billboard. Um, where would you put it and what, what would you like it to say? I would put it outside my parents' house and it would just say thank you. How lovely. That is lovely. That is one of the loveliest things we've ever had on, the, on that one. Um, the question you haven't been able to prepare for is we have this it's a it's a box of 100 questions from the school of life alan de Botton's place yep. so i've got i've got we'll pick out three at random if you could pick one read it out and answer it that would be great when you look around who seems to have the most meaningful job it's a good question what a question so when i look around my circle of friends mm. who has the most meaningful job there's two of them one's a psychiatrist in the nhs and one's a teacher and when i have conversations <laughs> with them about our respective uh, place of work it is a different planet yeah. uh, they do wonderfully meaningful work yeah. every day for far less pay than they deserve and they never complain about it and those conversations I, put things in perspective, uh, don't they? It's like, what's a bad day at work to you? What's a bad day at yeah, work to them? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the idea of a bad work in the morning being that a certain type of free fruit has run out that day, yeah. or there's only six <laughs> types of yogurts in the fridge versus eight, uh, sort of yeah. brings it brings at home uh, when they talk to you about their experiences at work on a daily basis. Josh, that's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thank you for the invite. Thank you.